as I said at the start of the service today, we are continuing in our series within a series this morning. Uh, We have been going through Romans, we're continuing through Romans, and we'll continue through Romans even after we finish this small series. The point of us looking through Romans is to look with fresh eyes at what what it means to be a person who's responding to God's call, particularly when we are faced with times that are unprecedented and unknown. What are the things that are essential for us to be holding on to as people of faith? And how do we live out those essential things in ways that are authentic and genuine in a time where it seems like one moment is jumbled with another? So we're continuing our series within a series talking about what God never wants us to forget. Don't forget, God says. Last week, don't forget that we need God. This week, don't forget, never ever forget, that God will use all things toward a good purpose, that God takes all things for the good. We're turning to our scripture passage for today, which comes from Romans 8, verses 18 through 30. I invite you to listen along with me or to follow along as you will, and to pray that the scripture will speak to our hearts in ways that even we might not expect. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption into sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Would you pray with me? And I pray with a hand open so that God can take things out of my hands and put things into my hands. I invite you, if you're willing, to open your hand or both hands so that you might receive God's word for us today. Will you pray with me? 
Gracious and loving God, pour through Jessica and me the gift of preaching, that these words might not be our words or our opinions, but by a miracle of your grace, they might become your living word to us. May they challenge every child, teenager, and adult who hears them. And may we take the next step on our journey of faith with you. All this we pray with boldness and confidence in the strong name of Jesus, the risen and the reigning Christ. Amen. I wish that I could take a socially distanced walk with every one of you or have a socially distanced cup of coffee because I'd love to ask you to press rewind on your mind and, and take me back through your life and, and walk me back through your life and tell me about your hopes and your plans and your dreams for your family and your career and for yourself, where you wanted to live. And then as you're doing that, I'd love to ask you this question. As you think about the plan A's in your life, your original plan, what you really want to have happen, has there ever been a time in your life when plan A didn't work out and you had to go to plan B? I was teaching a class on the will of God one time and I asked that very question and a woman stood up right in the middle of the class and she said, plan B, I'm on plan G, H, and I, and I'm only 30. Some years ago in the Peanuts comic strip, Charlie Brown and Lucy were talking together about the meaning of life. Lucy was telling Charlie Brown about life, and she said, you know, Charlie Brown, life is like a deck chair. Some people like to put their deck chair so they can see where they've been. Some people like to put their deck chair so they can see where they are now. Some people like to put their deck chair so they can see where they're going in the future. Where do you like to put your deck chair, Charlie Brown? And Charlie Brown sighs and says, I can't even get my deck chair unfolded. Is there anybody listening today who, like me, that your, that your life did not unfold as you thought it would? You had a plan A that maybe didn't work out and you went to plan B, and frankly, you're now on G, H, and I or beyond. I think if we're honest, we've all gone to many plan Bs in our life. Suzanne and I have had to go to plan B this summer. My wife, Suzanne, and I will celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary this summer. And we had this gala trip to Switzerland and France all planned. Well... Now with COVID-19, we've had to postpone that till who knows when we'll be able to go, and we've had to go to plan B. Our grandson Nathan's a senior at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, doing great as a wonderful student, looking forward to his senior year. But he was so disappointed this very week to get an email from Duke saying that all juniors and seniors will not be coming to campus. They'll be taking all classes online. It's only freshmen and sophomores who will come to Durham for their socially distanced campus. But now Nathan's got to figure out what he's going to do. He's going to live at home or go to plan B or go to plan C, live in an apartment off campus with some guys that he knows. I mean, his whole life has been disrupted. And think about all the other people in our world who've had to go to plan B and C and D. Life maybe didn't work out the way they planned for their job or their finances in this COVID-19 time. You know, John Lennon's quite right. Life is what happens to us when we're making other plans. We know the Bible talks a lot about going to plan B. But if ever there was a biblical character who knew about plan B, it was the Apostle Paul. It absolutely was Paul. When we look at Paul's life, we see that he went, he was intimately familiar with the idea of going from plan A to plan B. And then on to plan C and plan D and beyond. And with each new plan, 
that Paul embarked upon, Paul encountered circumstances and situations that changed the course of his life, nearly always in ways that he had never wanted them to be changed for himself or that he never imagined could be changed for anyone. Paul was born in the city of Tarsus. We've been talking about him a lot over the last few weeks. We know that he was well-educated. He was educated at the great university that was seated at Tarsus. But he wasn't educated to become a rabbi. He was trained instead as an artisan in leather and in tent making. You sort of wonder if maybe Paul's plan A was for him to live a simple but good life one where he practiced a trade, maybe had a family, maybe raised that family to be similar to that solid, good Jewish family that he was raised in. But the next time that we see Paul, Paul is standing outside on the edge, watching while Stephen is being stoned. Stephen, a new believer in Christ. We don't necessarily know how Paul got there, but we see that plan A has already changed and he's on to plan B. This plan B has him dedicating his purpose to persecuting the Greek-speaking Jews who had started to follow Jesus Christ, these new Christians. He traveled to and from Damascus, persecuting these new believers in ways that are imaginable and unimaginable. We see that in this time, he is doing this not because he's trying to defy God, but because he is trying to live into who God has called him to be. He wanted to be the most faithful. He wanted to be the most dedicated to the point of punishing others so that he could show his good faith. But then plan B went right out the window. Just as Jesus showed up and knocked Paul off of his horse, blinding him in light, requiring that if Paul wanted to see again, he was going to have to ask for help from one of the people that he had set out to persecute, Ananias, one of those new believers in Jesus. He could have never, Paul could have never imagined that something like this could have happened to anyone, let alone happen to him. And why would it, why would it be that in this time where he is being so dedicated to the call of God, where he is certain that he is following God's direction for him and persecuting these Christians, why would God knock him off course? It just didn't make any sense that he would be diverted from this plan. However, this time, Paul gets an answer as to why the plan is being changed. Mm. This time, Paul hears Jesus say to him that Jesus has a purpose for him, a purpose to not persecute, but to encourage these believers in Christ. So he goes on to the next plan. He starts to dedicate himself to the community of Christ followers. He goes to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles of Christ. He starts little communities of worshipers all throughout the area. He goes on one missionary journey, and then he goes on a second, and then on a third. Paul expanded the church well beyond Jerusalem, well beyond into every city that he landed in, living with those new believers and nurturing them in their new faith living into God's purpose for him until 
until he was arrested. Until he was arrested and stationary for two years. Arrested after turning himself into the authorities so that he could escape people who were trying to murder him. And for what purpose? The first time that Paul was knocked off of his plan, he was given an explanation. Jesus told him where he was supposed to go, but this time there was no blinding light. There was no thud off of the horse. He was just stuck for reasons that he could never imagine why. On to plan D. It's interesting as we read Paul's thoughts all throughout the letters to the uh, churches throughout the area, as we hear him reflect on his own journey of faith, we hear some frustrations. We know that it hasn't been easy for him, but over and over and over again, Paul asserts that he knows that God is using every circumstance of his life for a good and fulfilling purpose. Paul asserts over and over again, he believes that God is doing a good work in him. And it's so true. God was doing a good work in Paul. And out of the plan A's and B's and C's and D's that Jessica just talked about so beautifully, Paul learned a very important spiritual lesson. And God wants us to remember this spiritual lesson and never forget it all the days of our life. And the lesson is that God works all things together for good. In other words, in God's economy, nothing, nothing is ever wasted. God can work through the closed doors and the open doors. God can work through all the good and bad things of our life to form a tapestry that will really make us whole. And as we look back on it, we can see that God was at work in our lives. Paul knew that it was only when he looked back on his life that he could see the hand of God at work. Soren Kierkegaard, the great 19th century Danish philosopher and theologian, said, we live our lives forward, but we understand them looking back. And as Paul looked back at his life, he could see the hand of God at work through adversity and through the difficulties and the challenges he faced. Alexander Graham Bell, the great scientist and inventor, said, when one door closes, God opens another. But we look so long and regretfully at the door that was closed that we don't even see the door that is open to us. But Paul did see the door that was open to him. Paul did see that God was at work in his life. And God did, Paul did see that God was doing something in him that couldn't have happened without the challenges and the difficulties and the adversity. In fact, being arrested, as Jessica was talking about, actually became Paul's platform. He could speak to the jailer in Philippi because he was in jail. He could speak to the magistrates because he was imprisoned. He even could speak to the emperor because he was imprisoned and was shipwrecked and beaten and arrested. And all of these things were working together for good for Paul. But can I be really honest with you today? I mean, in all honesty, when I look at my own life and maybe when you look at yours, I have to say, as I look at Paul's life, I think, you know, I'd really like the easy road. <laughs> I really don't want the hard road of discipleship. I, I mean, I'd really like my plan A to work out. And, and sometimes I don't really like to go to plan B. And I certainly don't like plan G, H, and I. And, and it's not easy to, to follow God in this way. And sometimes, to be honest, when things don't work out the way I planned, I actually run away from God for a time. And, and I kind of don't speak to God for a little while. 
C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologist, said, adversity is the raw material of the Christian life. It's only when we go through adversity that we really learn what Christian maturity is all about. And Lewis says, suffering is a classroom in which we learn the greatest spiritual lessons of our life. Frankly, I'd like to skip that class. I'd like to avoid that classroom. But Lewis keeps coming back to it and back to it and back to it. Now, I'm not saying, and C.S. Lewis isn't saying, and Paul isn't saying, that God causes everything to happen that happens. But God can use everything that happens, even adversity, even suffering, to accomplish a greater purpose than we could ever imagine. In The Problem of Pain, the great book that Lewis wrote, he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. God speaks to us in our conscience. But God shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. Sometimes it's only when we experience pain that we start to turn toward God. I'm not saying God causes everything that happens, but I am saying God often uses adversity and suffering and disappointments and doors closing and making us go to plan B and G, H, and I, that somehow God's purposes will be revealed in a way we can't even now imagine. Because we believe the same God who brought resurrection out of crucifixion can bring something good out of anything that happens in our lives. See, Paul internalized this truth. And so even not only in Romans 8, but in his other writings, he was always thinking about how God was at work in his life. And so in 1 Corinthians 13, that we often hear at a wedding, it's the great love chapter. But in that chapter, Paul said, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then in the kingdom of heaven, we'll see face to face. Now, in this life, we know in part, but then I'll understand fully, even as I've been fully understood. And what Paul is really saying is that God is working all things together for good, but we only get a glimpse of it in this life when we look back. But in the kingdom of heaven, we will actually start to see all the many ways that God worked all the things in human history together for good. And so I think the first word we're going to say in heaven is going to be, aha. So that's the way it works. That's what God had in mind all along. And we will see the amazing awe and wonder of God. And we will praise God all the days of our life. But it is one thing to talk about this. And it is quite another matter, isn't it, to live it out? Absolutely. That is the truth. We can say these things that make us feel good. We can share the platitudes when we see a friend who's going through something that's difficult, but it's completely different for us to say that we know in our heads that God uses all things for good. It's completely other thing for us to live it. It's a completely different thing to wake up into that day that just offers you disappointment after disappointment over and over again. It's a different thing to wander into a situation that presents you with circumstances that you couldn't even imagine in your nightmares. It's another thing to trudge week after week, month after month into circumstances that are confusing and disconcerting, like many of us have felt during this pandemic. If God works all things for good, then that means that God works joyful and hopeful and lovely things for good. That's not so hard to imagine. But what's important for us to not forget is that God also takes those hurtful, stressful, 
painful situations for good as well. God takes these things for good and yet just by God transforming them, using them for good purposes, it doesn't stop us from experiencing them. It doesn't stop us from actually feeling that stress and that fear and that anger. We have to go through it in order for God to use it. What it means for God to take these circumstances and use them for good means that God gives them a different purpose, an eternal purpose, an eternal purpose that tells us that it's not going to be stress and pain and fear that characterize our lives. Those things are not going to have the last word. In these times where we are experiencing grief and hurt and weakness, we are driven to our knees in front of God. Our scripture for today says that the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. The spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. And the one who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. And I got to tell you, while I don't always immediately connect with everything that I read in scripture, this passage of scripture is one that I understand. I get this. When my good friend died at the age of 26, when my, a mentor of mine was diagnosed with a debilitating illness, when my husband lost his job unexpectedly while we had two small children at home, I didn't have well-articulated prayers to offer to God in those times. I didn't sit down and recite a beautiful liturgy of poetry to God. During those times, my prayers were conveyed to God through sobs as I stood next to a casket. They were conveyed as I was exasperatedly feeling helpless in the face of news that I couldn't control. My prayers were conveyed through my muttering and my grumbling and anger as I packed boxes to move. Just this past week, a pastor on Twitter posted that sometimes four-letter words are the only prayers that he could pray, but he was certain that God would still accept them. And I believe that's true. I can sympathize with that when we are at our lowest points, weakened by grief and by hurt. That is when the Spirit intercedes for us in wordless groans. Richard Rohr, he's a Franciscan friar. He's based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He heads up the Center for Contemplation. He's a popular author and speaker, and he tells this story of listening to a scientist who is also a Jewish rabbi who talks about a different kind of four-letter word. He talks about God's name. The rabbi was speaking about God's name, Yahweh, and about how God's name is written only with consonants, four of them, Y-H-W-H. It's written only with consonants and with no vowels. The rabbi spoke about how faithful believers are expected to know what vowels are said where when someone is trying to pronounce the divine name. And the rabbi pointed out that when the divine name is pronounced correctly, it does not allow us to use our tongue or to close our lips. 
the rabbi highlighted how the sound of God's name is the sound of us breathing in and out. I want you to try this with me. Yahweh. Yahweh. Roar tells how. As the rabbi breathed God's name in and out as a prayer into the microphone, into an auditorium filled with PhDs, how there were audible sobs being heard. Rohr says that he tells this story about the rabbi's words as often as he possibly can because he experienced in his own life how learning to pray God's name in this way could completely transform someone's life. It transformed his life. It transformed the act of praying from an act of thinking into a corporal activity, just the corporal reality of being a human. He says it changed praying from the act of reciting carefully crafted words into sighs and groans. One of the things that I found the most powerful as he talks about this experience is he says that it caused him to realize hearing God's name breathed as a prayer caused him to realize that the first word that we ever speak when we come out of the womb and we take our first breath is God's name. And that the last word that we will speak as we take our last dying breath will be God's name. The spirit prays in wordless groans and sighs. The spirit transforms every breath into a prayer. So what is the purpose of prayer? Is the purpose of prayer to to get what we want? Is the purpose of prayer to get God to change God's mind and give us what we want to give us, our plan A? No, I believe the purpose of prayer is to receive God's mind, is actually to get to know God. I got a sense of this some years ago when my father and I were painting our home, and Suzanne and our boys and I lived in this home in New Jersey, and my dad came, and and he and I painted the house together, and we had a wonderful time. And I remember a time when we were on the ladder scraping and and sanding and getting ready to paint. It was like the, the, the shield came down from my father, and the shade went off and I realized my dad was talking to me not as my father but but as a human being and it was wonderful just to get to know my dad he told me about the plan A's of his life and plan B's and jobs that he turned down and he told me about his finances in a way he never had before and then I realized that I really didn't want anything from my dad. I, I knew how much my dad loved me. I, I had all the material things I needed. I didn't need any money from my dad or a house from my dad or, well, I, I would have liked a car. But, but really, basically, I had everything that I wanted. And what I really wanted was just to get to know my dad. And I realized, wow, my dad loves me more than I love me. And my dad has more hopes for our family than, than we have for ourselves. And it was just wonderful spending that time with my father. And I realized that's the point of prayer, is getting to know God. You know, we're not on the face of the earth to make money and acquire things. We're, we're on the face of the earth to get to know God and to trust God and to serve God. So actually, the point of this all is that 
that God works all things together for good with those who love God and are called according to God's purpose. The more we get to know God, we realize if we can trust God, God's got more in store for us than we could ever imagine. So what about taking that socially distanced walk with me and Jessica? What about having that socially distanced cup of coffee? Have we been learning as we press rewind in our life to go back into our life? Have we been learning that God works all things together for good? Barb learned this. I was on Mount Arbel by the Sea of Galilee in Israel with Barb and a group of eight other pastors. And I'd asked them on this two-week trip to the Holy Land that every one of us would share our story we tell how we got to know God and how we became a pastor. And Barb shared her story on Mount Arbel overlooking the Sea of Galilee. But I'll always remember this when she started talking about her story and press rewind on her mind. She said, now, I want to just warn you, mine is an is a R-rated, maybe a double R-rated story. And she began to tell us, and we'd never heard anything like this. I mean, how she was abused as a young woman in every way that she could have been abused how she had a very difficult, challenging relationship with her parents, and she became promiscuous in high school, and she got married and divorced, and then had a child at the age of 19, and she said, I was a terrible mom. I was an alcoholic and a drug addict, and she said, I spent my 20s as a drug addict. I was in and out of prison, in and out of jail, in and out of the slammer, as she called it, for taking drugs and selling drugs, and She said, at the age of 34, when my daughter was 15, I was a terrible mom. I was a terrible person. I felt condemned by God, condemned by the church. I condemned myself. So she said, the only thing I could do is take my life. So at the age of 34, she drove into a shopping mall parking lot, and she said, I was ready to kill myself. A Salvation Army truck drove in the parking lot, and she said, I read the words on the sign of the truck, and the sign on the truck said, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And she started to weep. She started to sob. She didn't know it, but the breaths that she was taking, she was really saying, not even knowing it, Yahweh, Yah." way her prayer was thank you God for finding me for the next six years she became a believing Christian her daughter became a Christian they started to get their life together she became a good mom and she got a good job and she met a good man and she married him and he was a Christian and during those six years she got involved in the church there was one scripture verse that kept coming back to her from 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5. God helps us in our troubles so we can help others in their troubles using the same help we've received from God. And as she internalized this verse and as she thought back over her life how God was working all things for good in her life. She said to her husband one day, I want to start a church for people who are drug addicts and alcoholics and their family members where they can learn that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. She went to theological seminary. Her husband said he was behind her. And she became an ordained preacher at the age of 43 years old. And today, Barb's got this amazing church in Watford City, North Dakota. I mean, it's an amazing church filled with drug addicts and alcoholics and people who are recovering and, and people fall off the wagon and get back on the wagon. And, but it's a, it's a community of love and faith. And, 
And Barb told us about it on Marnar Bell, and she invited me to preach at that church, and it was an amazing experience. I started with the words, God is in the reclaiming and salvaging business, and everybody stood and applauded. <laughs> I said, man, I should have come to this church years ago, and they laughed, and they cried, and they prayed for one another. And I said to one man, why does everybody stay an hour or two after church? And listen to what he said. He said, because nobody wants to leave the atmosphere. Now, who would have ever thought that a woman who was promiscuous, got, got pregnant, had a baby at the age of 19, and, and took drugs and was in prison and out of prison, who would have ever thought that she'd be a preacher of a gospel, of a God of grace, and enveloped all these people? Who would have ever thought that, that she could have done all this? But see, Barb knew what the Apostle Paul knew that even through the plan A's and plan B's and plan G's, H's and I's of her life, God was working all things together for good. Now that's a lesson, that God doesn't want any of us to ever forget. Barb remembered it. Will we? Amen.